Let's start with a word of prayer before we go into God's word. Jesus, we just welcome you to come and to be with us, to take us through your word, to show us your truth. Lord, I ask that you would uh, just point things out to us as we go that are just for us, um, that speak clearly to our situation, to our struggles, and um, that you would show us more of the bigger picture today. Lord, I ask that each one here would have something to take home with them. Whatever the age, whatever the circumstances, you would give each person something. And we thank you in advance for this. Amen. Today is Naked and Ashamed Part 2. What? Unashamed, yes. Wow, that's a big difference. Alright? That's like the whole basis of what I've been saying for the last two weeks. So now we've gotten out of the way. And we know we're not supposed to be ashamed, alright? So, Naked and Unashamed Part 2. And uh, just to recap where we were at last week, I spoke on God's deep desire to restore us to the intimacy of the Garden of Eden that had been lost through sin, which brought about shame, hiding, running away, fleeing from God, and that division and how God's deepest desire brought into fruition by Jesus, was that we would be redeemed back into that close fellowship with Him. That's why Jesus came, to call us back, to bring us back into right fellowship. The second thing about that is, this week I want to talk about how that plays out. And the importance of our relationships in God's desire in reconciliation of God and man. God's deepest desire is that all men would come back and be connected heart to heart, unashamed, and fully open, God and man. That is his deepest desire. And how does that mostly play out in our lives? Through our relationships. And I want to stress the importance and the opportunity that we have in each and every connection with another person, believer or not, to advance God's redeemed garden of intimacy between Him and all of mankind. Each relationship is that opportunity. So we're going to talk about relationships today and how important they are. Pacomius was an Egyptian soldier turned uh, hermit in the 4th century. And hermits thought they were really godly by hiding out in the desert and practicing all sorts of asceticism, which is uh, the deliberate act of making your life as difficult as possible. Whether it be extreme fasting, extreme... Well, I mean, living out in a desert, there you go. That's asceticism right there. And... uh, one day, he, he just had this epiphany of sorts, um, and he said these words. He said, if you want to save souls, you have to bring them together, which 
really flies in the face of hermits in general. And the hermits weren't exactly looking to lead the church in the wrong way. It was a reaction to how the church had been going a wrong way in itself. Because around the 4th century, church became very fancy, we'll say. Um, at the detriment of the gospel, it became very fancy. And so the hermits was a rebellion of that, saying, we, we just want simple faith. And so they went into the desert. But as he found, God's desire is not that we would all hide and have a good relationship with him. Because God's design is that through our relationship with him, we would bring more people in to that relationship with him. Him in us, him in our relationships, and our relationships into him. And we have to be together to do that. The problem is, as much as we need relationships, relationships are a big deal, and relationships are God's desire, relationships are mighty complicated. They are mighty complicated. They're full of trigger points. They are full of insecurities. They are full of shame. Thank you, garden. And so it's complicated. So I want to talk this morning about the wrestling match, the battleground that is each relationship that we're in. If it would help you to find a few relationships that you want to apply this message to as you listen. A difficult one. One that's maybe more surface than you would like. And you can apply this to it. Before sin entered the world... Man's relationship with each other was this. In verse 24 of Genesis 2, it says, A man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That was the condition of our relationships. God's design before sin entered the world. Of course, sin blew that all to pieces and the post-apple looked more like this from Genesis 3, 7 to 13. This was the passage from last week. The eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree in which I commanded you not to? The man said, whom you gave me to be with. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Blame enters the world. The woman said, or sorry, and then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Not a ton of accountability in that first, um, you know, really deep session. There's not a lot of hand raising, a lot of this, a lot of that, a lot of finger pointing. And, and boy, has that plagued us. Well, till today, it's, it's kind of plagued us. That's, that's still often the natural order of things. 
right? It's in our, it's in our DNA. Our DNA is to blame. It's in my DNA, right? So I'm not even talking about you guys. It's in my DNA to blame. My first response is not, how can I take accountability for the strife that's going on around me? I mean, I hopefully get to that, but that's not always my first response. And so the byproducts of sin did not take long to really divide the people that were supposed to be together. And so I want to talk about that that battle that goes on in our relationships and God's deep desire that our relationships would be full of reconciliation for the world around us. Relationships of reconciliation. And I want to look at the battleground and, and the presence of two entities that are fighting against each other in all of our relationships. And I believe you'll see it to be true. And it's, it's the influence of the apple, the influence of sin, shame, hiddenness. It's on one side. And it's the influence of God and His desire to enter into our relationships. Right? Those, that's the battle that's going on. That's the tug of war that is in each of our relationships. I read this story this week about a woman and her co-worker, I don't know, must obviously didn't like her because she, for, for months, was putting Lysol in her work cup. Just throwing it in there, just a little swab every day. They actually caught her on camera, which, uh, which is not a, a good thing to do. But, uh, like, our relationships get really really whacked sometimes like like why would you do that and uh and we've all experienced i mean we could we could tell and compare story after story after story about the terrible things that have happened in our relationships often seemingly with friends so good relationship good community and all these really harmful things still came out of it because there's this battle going on Our relationships are not simply cut and dry. But God has a deep desire for them. So I want us to look at two stories in Genesis to show this tug of war between the apple's presence and God's presence in our relationship and how that can play out. And how much is at stake that we would take really take hold of a relationship of reconciliation with the world around us. There's a lot at stake that we would that we would understand that, we would receive that as truth, and we would put that into practice in all of our relationships. So Cain and Abel. It's not a straightforward relationship. I mean, it was at the beginning. They didn't have a lot of people around them. Um, they were the sons of Adam and Eve post-Garden of Paradise. And they both worked the land, one with animals, Abel, one with the grain, Cain. And time came for them to offer their first sacrifice. And what happened? Abel's was received, blessed by the Lord, and Cain's was not. I mean, talk about a trigger of shame and offense and the desire to want to hide and run away. 
Two brothers, sibling rivalry is pretty complicated as it is uh, to not have one sacrifice received and one not. That really takes it up a notch. And, uh, you know, Cain didn't handle it very well. He didn't handle his shame very well. He could have gone many different places with the shame that he felt, the condemnation that he probably received from the Lord not receiving his offering. But God calls out to him in this struggle. As his offering was not received, God calls out to him and says this, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. Our sin, our shame, is the most divisive element we can bring to our relationships. And every bit of complication in our one-on-ones and our groups with people, every misunderstanding, every word taken the wrong way, is an opportunity for sin to enter into our relationships. And look at the damage it can cause. We may not kill our buddies. But even Jesus is telling us that. You know the things that go on in your heart. In your relationships. That's, that's the same. I see that as the same. I see that as that same serious. Our relationships are such an opportunity for sin to come in. It's crouching. Our kids, our co-workers, people at church. It's so, there's so much potential. And yet God reached out to him. God gave Cain an out, a solution. And it's so obvious of who God is, even though Cain didn't take it. Just because Cain refused to take the hand that God had reached out for him with, it doesn't mean that God didn't desire. Cain chose to go his own way. He chose to give himself in to the temptation to sin through his hurt. James says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death it's obvious when Cain says to God am I my brother's keeper that's so revealing of his heart at the time it's so revealing as to why he killed his brother thank you for your suggestion God about humbling myself By going before you and doing it the right way and not blaming my brother. That's a good suggestion. But for the sake of my honor and for the sake of my retribution, I would like to deal with this my own way. I I have a solution here. And he kills his brother. And he's further cursed from the garden. Um... Now nothing coming out of the ground for him. That was his. It's just this crossroads. Of sin. 
And I want to take that story, the story of Cain and Abel, and I want to put that against the story of Joseph. Because there's a lot of similar elements between the two. With one huge difference, which would be the outcome. But sin crouching at the door is looking for an opportunity, a door to go through. Can we agree that the door in which sin crouches on would be the offenses, would be the hurts that come up in our relationships? They're access points. Being hurt in a relationship isn't sin. That's bound to happen with two people. But they become access points for sin to fully come into these relationships. What are some of these access points for, for Joseph? He was the favorite son of Jacob, sold into slavery by jealous brothers. He was accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual assault and jailed for that. Thirteen years he was uh, a slave and a prisoner. Thirteen years. He interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh's officials and was forgotten for another two years. That would have been hard. And even as the story turns back in Genesis 42 to the brothers and the family coming to Egypt, hearing about all this grain that Egypt had to offer, think of the struggle. Joseph had every right in the flesh to cause all sorts of retribution to his brothers. They had grievously harmed him. All sorts of opportunities. And yet he didn't hurt them. Because there's another way in our relationships. Even though we're triggered, there's another way. This is a quote from Nelson Mandela, who spent 27 years in prison. He says, As I walked out the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind... I'd still be in prison. 27 years. Like, that's wild. But he understood the battle. The potential. But God's continued presence was with Joseph. This is the part that Cain wasn't able to take hold of. He wasn't able to take hold of the presence. Joseph was sold to Potiphar. And it was said in Genesis 39 that the Lord blessed all that Potiphar had for Joseph's sake. In prison again, after he was accused. Now, now here's a guy that's really down on his luck. And in prison again, he was left in charge of everything. Because everything that Joseph did, the Lord made to succeed. When he interpreted the dreams of the prisoners, he proclaimed, Do not all interpretations belong to God? He said the same with Pharaoh, where he said, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer to the dreams and the questions that Pharaoh had. God's continued presence in Joseph's life and in his relationships. And through that, through the dreams and through interpreting for Pharaoh, He became second 
in command in all of Egypt, only to Pharaoh. Of course, God didn't just want to promote Joseph for the sake of promoting him. God's plans and purposes were much greater than that. But Joseph did not ignore the voice of God in his situation. Because our relationships are, are about so much more than just our relationship. They're God's redemptive plan to the world around us. That's how God is choosing to redeem the world, through our relationships. And you get this picture of it in the story of Joseph. As all the struggle, the strife, the pain, the suffering that Joseph went through was for a much greater cause than just his own life. It was for the nations around him. It's the redemption in our relationships. We see this with Dave and Lynn, who are off in Rwanda now for the sixth or seventh year, or something like that. Spiritually, they've been given the key to a nation, like a whole nation. They've been received as God's voice to Rwanda. They've been received in such a way that we would have hoped that prophets should have been received in the Bible. And how did that happen? It wasn't from self-promotion. It wasn't from putting an ad out. It wasn't from getting a good website and hoping they'd get some hits. It was from Jean-Paul who showed up in Steinbeck. One relationship that became the bridge from here to there and all of God's work. Now, with, with that in mind, how important are our relationships? God is using two people through His Holy Spirit to walk a nation through forgiveness of a genocide and all the effects that have come from that. And it came from relationship. The stakes are high with the people around us. In Joseph's case, this was the same. Dave and Lynn show that the stakes are so high. Joseph knew this. He said, uh, once his father had passed away, he said this to his brothers who were afraid that he was going to take his revenge. He says, do not fear, for I am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. This is at the end of 13 years all because his brothers were jealous. Her, his brothers were ashamed of their standing in the family. And it makes to a very significant point in how we see our relationships. See, we do life with people that we can't control. 
Maybe you know that. You can't control your kids. You can't control your spouse. You can't control your coworkers, your boss, the people in line with you, the people on the road. You can't control those people. And you, and you really shouldn't try. People don't like that. And, uh, and it never works out good for us to try and control others. Now, what can you control in your relationships? Because there are things for you to do. We can control our responses. We can't control the events themselves, but we can control how we respond to each and every circumstance. And this is the key. Our responses determine what happens. Our responses are what we're taken into account for by the Lord. He wants to know, how are you going to respond to this? There's two ways to feel it's all about me. We can say, it's all about me because people always hurt me. People always do what I don't want them to do. They don't listen to my advice. It's all about me. God wants us to say... It's all about you in the regard of, I think God might be telling me something through this situation. He might be teaching me something. That regard is all about you. Because God is active in our relationships. And he wants us to know these things. So our responses are so important. Far more than the encounters. The garden of intimacy with the Lord is expanded through our relationships. That's how God takes ground back in the world. Last week was all about God reclaiming our hearts, our minds. Elmer came up and talked about that, that it starts with us. We are the first garden plot that needs a total overhaul. But as he's working in us, he wants to move through us into the people that we're in contact with. To reclaim people back to himself. So we looked at the story in Joseph, and yet Joseph was just a man. A great man, but just a man. And yet he showed us many aspects of the Savior that was to come. A couple of ways he did that was the radical forgiveness He had radical forgiveness for his transgressors. It doesn't say, but Joseph must have been really tempted. You'd think. It sounds pretty awesome in scripture, but if we put ourselves in the story of Joseph, how difficult would it have been in those confrontations with his brothers early on? But he chose to forgive them after they had done so much. Jesus on the cross says, forgive them They do not know what they do. A word to the nation. He also showed us that redemption comes often through the sins of others. How often do we hear inspirational stories of people that have been through extreme trials? Where do we get beauty from ashes from? It's the redemptive quality 
of choosing to not be offended, to not walk in unforgiveness, to not be a victim. God blesses those things. The sins of the brothers brought forth huge, massive redemption for the nation around Joseph. And how much more for Jesus? The sin of one man. It says in Romans 5, the trespasses of one man, Adam, death reigned throughout that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? As sin entered into the world permanently through one man, through one man, Jesus, it is being redeemed and has been redeemed. So are relationships important to Jesus? I, I hope that I've been clear that they are. Eternally important. Because Jesus' deep desire is that our relationships reflect joy, intimacy, and unity that's in heaven right now, was intended in the garden and is being redeemed in each one of us and in the people around us as we look to reconcile. It says this in Colossians, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus' mandate was to reconcile, to bring back into right fellowship, right intimacy, right communion, God and man. That made every bit of his death and suffering worth it. That reconciliation is our mandate as well. We're called to be ministers of reconciliation to the world around us for the sake of God's redeeming work in the world. says this in John 17, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. God's desire is that our relationships done in intimacy, done in unity, choosing each other, would reflect gospel heaven truths to the world around us. That our relationships would be billboards of what God has done, what God is doing, and all that he has for us. Do our relationships shine bright to the world around us by the relationship in itself? Jesus is saying, I pray that they would love each other in such a way that it would be obvious to the world around them who God is. How do our relationships stack up to that? That sounds like a big deal. It sounds like I'm making too much about nothing. Why can't our relationships just be about things we have in common? which they can. Why can't they just be about wings, which they can. Why can't they just be about laughs? They can, but God is calling us to more. 
It's clear. He's asking our relationships would broadcast truths of heaven to the world simply by the relationship itself. We wouldn't have to go on a missions trip. We wouldn't have to wear a certain shirt that was kind of hard-hitting and yet gospel true. We wouldn't have to do any of that. The world would say, how you do relationships, how you prefer each other, I, I need to know more. Because what, what you have there and what I have here, it's not the same world. I, I need to know what's going on there. Just by how we deal with each other. I know this, this flies in the face of like easy, fun, joking relationships. And those are good. But anytime Jesus prays about something in one of his final recorded prayers while he's alive, it's a big deal. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. The purpose. It's the purpose. So that. Be tight, but here's the purpose. That people would know the gospel. I know, I'm, I'm making relationships out to be a big deal. I know. But this is what it is. And here's God's plan for really sending the gospel out. In the early church, in the first century, it wasn't Peter full of the Spirit preaching to 3,000, all of them being cut to the heart and receiving Jesus that grew the church. I mean, big chunks like that really help. But the gospel went out on foot by merchants and slaves and sailors and soldiers. Lower class people that simply were authentic in the relationships. Choosing to introduce Jesus to the people that they rub shoulders with. It's a gospel that walks. It's a gospel that moves. And that is what really spread the truth about Jesus in that first century. That's how the church really expanded. By people in their relationships. So I have a few questions for us to consider in the relationships we have. Question one. It's more of a prayer. God, what is your purpose in the person that is in front of me, or beside me, or behind me in line that's making lots of noise? What is your purpose here? What, how often do we ask that of our encounters with people? God, what, what do you hope will happen from this? Do we assume that God cares at all about these encounters? I know, I know that would, might cause people getting out of their own lane and, right? We don't generally think about these things. But it's a simple prayer. God, what is your purpose here? Why is this person with me right now? 
Because I refuse to believe that he's neutral on it. How can a God that has saved us for a good purpose not care that we do something impactful for the world because of it? Joseph was saved not so he would know a comfortable life, but so that many would benefit. We've been saved for the same reason. Each of us that know the safe confines, which really isn't that safe or comfortable, but the confines of eternally knowing Jesus Christ have been saved for a purpose. And that's not simply just to enjoy what we have, although we should enjoy what we have. Are the people around me grace growers? Or perhaps I'm a grace grower for them. Simply that, simply keeping grace grower in our mind will will cause all sorts of great things to happen in your life. It's identifying the situation, the circumstances. Because people rub us the wrong way all the time. Maybe I'm your grace grower right now, I don't know. We can talk about it over soup later, it's going to be all good, but... Understanding that there is purpose in every person we encounter. Deep, eternal purpose. What are the buttons that they press in me? What are the buttons I press in them? Keeps coming up. Got to watch out for those doors of sin to come in. Are they for my restoration? Are they for... Are they for that the kingdom of God, that the Garden of Eden would grow in my life? Or am I there for them? Secondly, where is shame and secrecy holding back your expansion, God's expansion in your relationships? God's, de- God's desire is to expand His kingdom in your relationships. But how is your shame and secrecy kind of blocking that? Because the number one killer in our relationships is shame and secrets. Because two people wearing a mask can't have an intimate relationship that brings expansion of God's kingdom. It just can't happen. How's our relationships on the reality scale? Being real with each other. I was texting with somebody from the... They're not here, so that's good. But I can maybe name names, but I won't. But I was texting with somebody from the congregation this week. And uh, we were just exchanging pleasantries. You know, being nice and kind and stuff like that. And, and, and I texted him later. I said, I said, uh, I said, texting, comma, an introvert's guide to intimate relationships. And he knew what I meant. Now you know it's a he. Um, but this issue of texting. Now I, I'm a phone. I can't even talk about phones. But like. Do we have a texting intimate relationship? Or do we have a real intimate relationship with the people around us? It is easier to be real by text. It just is. 
except it's not real. Oh, man. Yep. Where are you calling me to radical forgiveness, Lord? Not common sense forgiveness. Not seems like a good idea forgiveness. More like every bone in my body wants to run the other way than do this forgiveness. Radical heaven sent forgiveness. Joseph was the front runner to Jesus as he radically forgave his brothers. Jesus radically forgave everyone who's ever lived. How could radical grace in our relationships break a situation wide open for the Lord? Wide open. Where is a new mission field for us in our relationships? Simply meaning, where, where is a place that God may call me to go? It may only be four feet to the right or to the left. A new group of people that God wants me to introduce him to. That God wants to restore through me. See, if we could really take hold this idea of being a minister of reconciliation, it changes everything. Aimlessness is gone. There's no room for aimlessness as a minister of reconciliation. There's no room for fear of man as a minister of reconciliation. There's no room for pride as a minister of reconciliation. Because your path is set on bringing life into every situation that you come across. We have the greatest thing to offer. That's nothing like the emptiness that the world wants to give. Pacomia said, if you want to save souls, you have to bring them together. And Jesus is calling us to reconcile these souls to himself in his influence through our life into the lives of others. We need to do that together. We need to worship in our relationships. Jesus says, I desire mercy. I desire right relationship, not sacrifice. Not the external things you do. I want you to be right with each other. Leave your sacrifice. Go make right with your brother. Make right with your sister. Worship me in that first. We're ministers of reconciliation. And we have a tremendous opportunity. Just through everyday life. For God to redeem the world through us. To bring us back into intimacy with himself. So band, Greg, would you come up, please? <clears throat> I, I've made a big deal about relationships, I know. And their purpose. 
But I would invite us. If we want the Lord to just put a burden on us afresh for the people around us. If we want to say, I maybe have done relationships one day, one way, they've been superficial, I haven't been super involved, but I don't want to do that anymore. If we really want to take hold and say yes to the Lord's desire that we would be a minister of reconciliation to the world around us, it would invite us to stand. And we're going to ask the Lord to do what only He can do in our lives. So I'm going to pray. And anyone that just wants to say yes to the Lord in this, I invite you to stand just as a posture. Lord, we thank you for your calling on our lives. That it's not simply for ourselves, but it's for the world around us. I thank you for your deep desire to expand your kingdom through relationships, through the person in front of us. Father, forgive us where we've lost sight of the importance of our one-on-ones. Forgive us where we've gotten too involved in our own agendas. Lord, breathe breathe your purpose back in our relationships. Lord, for each one standing, I ask that you would put on them the mantle of minister of reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen.